Hey, how's it going? It's Tim Brown, and this is the Hook Better Leads podcast. I'm here with Heath Hicks of Avco Roofing, Catch All, and Roof for you. How are you doing, Heath? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Doing very well. We're talking about how to find high margin jobs and stop doing the rest. Yep. Before we get into it, time. I love it. Let, if you could give the folks a little bit of background, because I know you're a badass. For those of you who don't know Heath, if you could just give a little bit of like a high level of why they should listen to this podcast. Sure. So I've uh, been in roofing about 15 years, uh, owned Avco Roofing here for about six years. And uh, we went from zero to 31 million a year in five years, did about $100 million total in those five years. Um, I've had up to like 60 or 70 reps at a time. We work across three states. We have a uh, residential division, a real commercial division with a service department that has in-house production and all that. So we're a real roofer. We're not just a sales company. We do the real side of roofing as well. Uh, full sheet metal shop, all that stuff. So uh, we've grown a lot in maturity and complexity as we've started out as just a sales company and then ended up kind of in the seat of a real roofer, you know? So I love then, it, man. In, process, in that process, I invented the catch-all, just trying to solve the problems of frustrated customers over trash and nails in the yard. Um, now that's its own whole thing. It's doing really well in the industry and kind of raising the bar, which is really fun. And uh, now have kind of, I've always enjoyed the mentoring training part of it more than anything. Like I don't actually really care about roofing all that much. Uh, I care about people and their trajectories and success and all that. So mentoring and training has always been a part of it, whether it's just the local roofer down the street that would come hang out for, you know, a few hours or there's been, I don't even know how many roofing companies now have come to our headquarters and just hung out here for a day or two or three just to see how we do stuff. So we've made an official channel to do that called Roof Warrior. We have a online training platform through Sales Transformation Group, and then we have a live training event um, that's a week long where we train your reps, you know, and your sales leaders up to you know a higher level of sales and execution. You know, so I do a lot of stuff. Badass. You are a busy man. You are a busy man. So. How do, you know, I'm going to flip this first question on his head. It's like, how do these high margin jobs find roofing companies? Wow. Yeah. Where are these, who are these people and what, what are they doing to find a roofing company when it's time? Yeah. Well, um, so, you know, you're going to get two main approaches to uh, customer acquisition, you know, whether that's, um, being visible, being known, top of mind awareness, being found in searches, things like that for a customer who has a felt need. Uh, that's one type of customer. Uh, another type of customer is going to be someone who doesn't know that they even need a roof or that they have real problems or they have storm damage. And then we go in and create relationship and educate the customer. So um, for us on the high margin jobs, we kind of hunt them down. You know, we have leads that come in from a lot of different sources, but the high margin jobs, we're hunting those. And we're going to go find mm. that customer. We're going to find that neighborhood. We're going to knock on their door. We're going to build a relationship with them. We're going to build a relationship with the neighborhood uh, where we want to work. So we do both mm. sides. You know, we take leads and we generate leads. Um, but most of my successful reps also hunt. So you kind of have the farming mentality and you have the hunting mentality. Um, mm. And, you know, you're going to farm a community with your brand awareness uh, and your long-term uh, reputation, et cetera but uh, you're also going to train hunters. So the company mm. farms 
but my reps are mostly hunters. So they're out there finding specific jobs that they want so that we're not too dependent on one or the other, but we do, uh, we do a lot of door to door. That is kind of the core of like our culture and the way that we do it. Yeah. Um, we don't want to wait. We don't want to have to wait for leads to come in. Although we want to generate leads, obviously to equal money, but uh, we don't want to have to wait for that. I certainly don't want reps who don't know how to generate leads. If the leads stop coming in for whatever reason, I want them to be able to continue to find them. And then in the storm scenario, um, I can typically beat my competitors to the punch um, that are farming because it takes a little time to farm uh, a new spot. You know, if, if they get hit with hail at 11 o'clock at night, you know, it's going to take time for those leads to start coming in over the next 48 hours, 72 hours, to really start coming in strong five to seven days in when the customers are really starting to look for someone to help them. And by that point, I've already been in and out of the neighborhood, you know, <laughs> kind of, uh, hooked up quite a few deals. But like I said, we're going to run both yeah. at the same time. Um, yeah. but that's the way that we mostly our our biggest success in finding a high margin job is it's going and hunting them. Yeah. So other tips to keep your margins high per job, you know, I'm, you're, you're an operations guy, you know, so, yeah. and you know about the install and about the products and you're, you're yeah. a practitioner here of yeah, roofing. Yeah. How do you keep these margins high? Um, the first answer is, uh, true salesmanship, you know, in some way or another, whatever type of company you are, retail or restoration, you know, insurance driven, whatever you might be. Um, if you have people that have true salesmanship and can communicate value and make good asks um, to the customer to get them deeper into the project from a revenue perspective, they're gonna have higher margins, mostly through upselling. Um, also through, uh, if it's an insurance driven job, just realizing the other parts of the roof that really need to be replaced, whether insurance pays for it or not, I don't actually care because it needs to be done. You know, every, every job we do gets a new chimney flashing. End of story. I don't care whether insurance pays for it. The customer is going to pay for it because it needs to be done. It's a part of a roofing project, you know, and that mindset uh, internally, um, as well as having salesmen, you know, that have some sales ability to communicate that and make that ask, you know, keeps our margins higher just in the last, we've been measuring it really close for the last 24 months and we've increased our average margin by 7% over the last 24 months. Um, mm by just allowing our mindset to change one little piece at a time. And I bring up chimney flashings because that was one of them. You know, we used to do chimney flashings if the insurance paid for it because we were of the perspective that most people are only gonna pay the deductible. But I, I get that even, even that for some people that are listening to this is a giant jump because a lot of people that listen to this may not even collect all the deductible all the time. Maybe they get it when they think they can and other times they just kind of give away half of it or they, give away a few line items or whatever, however they're going to do it. Um, and we don't have any folks that are giving away the deductible. Listen to this. If you do, no, just get I'm messing with <laughs> um, them. Yeah. Well, there's creative ways to do it. And sometimes yeah. a lot of, I mean, honestly, when I started out in roofing, I didn't even know that I was eating the deductible. I thought I was doing something different. You yeah. know, um, yeah. I didn't know that functionally I was really doing the same thing. Um, it took me years of just constant training and exposure to bigger, uh, bigger, more successful companies to understand how they do it. And so, you know, we made a change three years ago where we're like, we don't care whether the insurance pays for it or not. Every roof is getting a new chimney flashing because chimneys were our number one leak call. You know, our number one warranty call was around chimney flashings. And uh, I just said, listen, it's actually cheaper just to replace it than it is to get callbacks. Let's just replace mm -hmm. them. And then once we realized, well, we're going to replace them, then we're like, well, wait a second. Somebody needs to pay for it. We shouldn't be doing it for free because the, the roof really needs it. And so, yeah, we'll ask, we'll ask the insurance company in a stronger way with more documentation, more 
um, you know, a better reason to ask for it. But then we realized, well, if they don't pay for it, it still needs to get paid for. So we're just going to tell customers, hey, as a part of your roof, you know, you need a new chimney flashing, it's 375 bucks. And, uh, you know, we're going to try to get it from insurance, but, you know, this is what we need to do on the roof. And we just kind of assume the sale and, and roll on through it. And every customer pays for it in one way or another, you know, because we really do replace it. So it's fair and reasonable to, to want to get paid for it. But that right there, just increasing, you know, $375 average across every job, you know, makes a difference throughout a year, especially when, you know, we might do a thousand roofs a year and it's, it's, it's a notable number. And so we've just kind of inched up over the years, like realizing, oh, we need this or we need that, or here's a better way to sell this. Here's a better way to offer that. And so we don't let customers get through the experience without getting educated on that stuff and getting an opportunity to, you know, invest some of their own money into the roof to make it a better quality roof. Absolutely. I think like when you're early business, right, you're in those first couple million, you're a little scrappy. You got to do what it takes to totally. win over the other guy. And then time passes. You're not that little scrappy guy anymore. Totally. Like you, let's say, let's say a lot of our customers, like six, $7 million range or something like that. You're sitting there. What are you still doing that's not required at a real business level? Like you're at a, you're a real business now. You don't have to give away the farm on every sale. Totally. You don't have to yeah. sit there doing silly stuff. So there's just kind of like sometimes taking a look at what you're giving away for free or you're doing really cheaply because you assume they don't want it, you know? Yeah, well, and there's an assumption too in a lot of sales guys' mindsets that like, hey, I really need this job. I don't want to let this customer go. And so when you walk into a sales opportunity with that mindset, like, hey, I really need this customer, uh, then they're driving the ship. You know, you work for them at that point. And it's, it's difficult to get the upsell. It's difficult to keep a high margin job because they're going to ask for this for free or that for free or a discount on this. Or can you go ahead and do this since you're here? Just throw that in or however they word it. And when you're desperate for the job, you're going to say yes. Mm. If you're not desperate for the job because you know you got plenty of work and you know your value and you know what your time is worth and you know what the company's reputation is worth, you walk in with the perspective that you're the expert and the customer needs to get educated by you because they actually don't know where this project is going. And you as a salesperson are in control of the outcome. Uh, when you're in control of the outcome, it's a totally different sales process. You know, the customer's individual concerns that they think are important to them, you can re-educate them right out of those concerns. Um, you know, Mrs. Jones, you're not actually looking for the cheapest roof. That's not what you want. You don't want callbacks every year. You don't want shingles falling out. Whatever it is, you don't you don't actually want the cheapest roof. And research backs that. People don't actually want the cheapest products. By by and large, that's not what people want. They want the highest value they can get for their money. But that's easy to communicate. I'm putting in a ton of value here, so of course it's going to be more expensive than the other guy. Of course, mm -hmm. our ending ticket here is going to be more expensive than the insurance because the insurance is paying bare bones. You know. Um, so yeah, of course it's going to be more, but this is, this is the stuff you need, Mrs. Jones, to get your roof up to the, the condition that you want it to be in, to get the warranty you want, to get the longevity and longevity you want. Here's what we need. And here's a few other options, you know, aesthetic or otherwise that we can throw in there too. And then next thing you know, the customer's looking to you to know what they need to do next mm -hmm. versus trying to order you around and get what they want from the project, which at the end of the day is usually not the outcome they want. They just don't actually know what they want because they don't know enough about roofing to really be driving that process. You have to be willing to let these people go away. Too. Like that's, that's the deal. And like we were talking about stop doing the rest, right? So oh, totally. there's a lot of turn down business, I'm guessing from your ah, yes. company. And you're, I just talked so why, Yeah. I just talked to a job today. One of my sales reps came in and said, Hey, uh, I went to this customer's house, gave him an estimate and found that we're one of six estimates. 
And my immediate response was, don't waste your time. If they're, if they're the kind of customer that's going to take the time to get six estimates and meet with six roofers and ask success to the same questions over and over again, that is not the customer you want to work for. Yeah. And you know, they're going for that person's going for price, right? Like that person's being, they have no, they have, their time is not worth much. They're going to be spending, totally. you know, totally. they're, they're going to go for price and quality price. Price is going to be the driver, but they're going to pinch you on your quality um, mm-hmm. with a low price, but high quality. But then they're going to sit there and they're going to haggle over everything. You're going to drop the materials mm-hmm. in the driveway. And they're going to be like, actually, I think I want this color because, you know, there's some kind of perfectionist. They're going to sit in the yard with binoculars watching you do the roof, <laughs> trying to trying to find something that you did wrong so they can ask for a 10% discount, you know? Yeah. And those kind of wheeler dealers are just customers you don't want. Mm-hmm. So I told the rep, I'm like, listen, you literally need to walk away from this customer. He's like, well, well, I know. But he had that. He's kind of a newer rep. So he's like, man, I really need some jobs. I want to get my numbers. So he continues to tell the story. And every every story point is another red flag. You know, yeah. it's another red flag. This is a customer you don't want. And um, I said, what you need to do is you just say, hey, listen, I know that you're driven here to find the best deal that you can. It's never going to be us. It's just not going to be us. So we don't feel like we're the right company for you. Uh, we're really focused on quality and experience. And that makes us more expensive. And so if you're really looking for like bottom dollar, but you still want to get some cool, you know, bells and whistles in your roof or whatever, I understand that, but we're just not the company for you. Mm-hmm. And I told him like, if you turn them down, I guarantee you, if you would have been their choice, they'll call you back. You probably would have never been their choice. They're not going to call you back. Yeah. Just get out of the deal. Stop wasting your time. And so how do you get into that mindset originally though? Cause there's a lot of roofers out there and I know, you know, cause we talked to so many of them and yeah. a lot of, you know, we've had a little less luck with the one, the one, two million guys. I saw we're, you know, a little bit more often in the threes and six and sevens that purchase what we have. Yeah. But you know, those guys are in that early part that gets stuck and I cannot let one job. Like mm-hmm. I got to pitch hard, but Mostly you and I both because, know when, yeah. when you walk away, when you can walk away, you close more deals. So how do you get that shift going in your mindset? Are you sick of what passes for leads these days? What's wrong with leads? Or Facebook ad leads? Not much, unless you want to be the lowest bidder on every job. I wear a lot of hats, but search engine marketing and website, I've passed off to a Google specialized team. Well, I mean, two ways. One is to really know your numbers. If you really, really, really know your numbers, you'll be able to turn down a job without a second thought. You know, the customer who wants this or wants that or throw this in, or can I get this a little extra? Or can I get this a little cheaper? No, you literally can't. Because if I do that job at that price, it isn't actually a waste of time. I'm not getting anywhere by spending time doing your job. It's an actual waste of my time. Now, you may not say those words to the customer, but internally you got to know this is an actual waste of my time. If you're making 15 points on the estimate, it's an actual waste of your time. Like you are literally wasting time and probably losing money. If it's mm-hmm. 20 or 25 points, yeah, you're still totally wasting time. And yeah, you, know, you may not be because once at the end of the year out of that job, that 25%, you might get a couple percentage points left after you've paid everybody else and done everything. But if one thing goes wrong or you get one call back on that job, you're literally losing money now. Mm-hmm. Right? So your job you know, your bottom dollar margin for you has to be really well understood, but it's usually dramatically higher than what people think it is. I mean, it's in the thirties for sure um, for a job to be worth it at all to do any of it. 
So let's talk about sales reps. I know you're the kind of guy that believes you want as many high performers as possible or as few almost as high performing reps as possible instead of a quantity, having a bunch of like kind of medium or low performers. So talk to me about that. Like why that philosophy and give us a little bit of background on that. Um, Well, from a team culture atmosphere, I want people that are motivated, educated, skilled, um, that can add to the team experience you know um the guy who's just limping along all the time you know has the woe is me attitude his his wife always hates him he can't ever pay his bills his truck is always breaking down and he never has enough money because he can't sell enough sell enough that guy is just draining energy from your company whether it's your sales reps around them usually the sales leaders spend more time dealing with those people than the guys that are on point you know those guys don't need a ton of support usually once they've got enough experience there they're like they're out and off to the races and you hear from them, you know, once a day, maybe, but the guy who's low as me, you hear from them all the time. And it's always a problem. And there's always a big thing. Um, I always, they always, when do you cut? When do you cut cut a sales rep? Yeah. When do you cut them? I mean, for us, we have a minimum of sales required for a year to, to be on the team. And we break that down by the month, week and day. And we measure by the month. If you're, if you're short one month, Hey, we're going to call it out and be like, Hey man, you got one month to get back on track. Otherwise this isn't the job for you. And if they run into the end of their second, second month, they're not on track. We say, Hey, you need to go find a new place. Um, and I mean, our, our minimum to, you know, be on the team isn't dramatically high, but it's not low. You have to actually be working to get it. Like we Can don't you throw want- a number out there. Cause I think people would want to know, but if you it's don't want be, to, it's, fine. No, it's not, it's not that I mind. It's just, it's going to be very different for different markets because okay. uh, yeah. we're, where we're at here, $500,000, um, in Minneapolis would be 800,000, maybe a million, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. the, the, the pricing of shingles is so dramatically different in different markets. And we're definitely some of the lowest pricing priced areas in the country for a lot of different reasons. So, um, yeah, if our, if our minimum is 500,000 here, it's going to be six, seven, 800, somewhere else, maybe in a million in certain markets like Chicago or Minneapolis. What market are you in again? Um, we're in East Texas. So we're Tyler, Texas. So we're outside of Dallas. We're even lower than Dallas pricing. So we're, nice. we're among the lowest pricing lists in, in the country. That's awesome, man. Um, oh, it's terrible. No, oh, we want to be what? the highest price list. Oh, okay. Tell we're, me. We're yeah. low. No, like we sell yeah. shingles for, you know, $300 a square here. Um, but in Minneapolis, I mean, they're like 600, 700, 800. Oh, okay. You're just saying, yeah, the margins end up being higher on the, yeah. yeah well, margins are way higher in bigger markets. Yeah. yeah. In other markets, other states. So Okay. We've got to be really scrappy here to survive down here in East Texas. All right. I like, I like how I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So we talked about when to cut a sales rep. How do yeah. I know when it's, let's say I'm a roofing company or I'm not, but um, how do I know if it was my fault or it was their fault, you know, cause you're, okay. you are, you know, you have to make pretty intense decisions about these people's sure. lives and it, it feels heavy at the time. So sure. is it my fault? Is it their fault? Yeah. Let's back up back to that question, the one you had of when to fire a sales rep. Let's talk about this. This will make it clear. What's the cost of keeping the low rep, the low performing rep? Big drain on energy and time from your leadership or for you. A bunch of low margin jobs because they're never the greatest salespeople. Their, their jobs are the least worth, worth the effort. They have the most upset customers. They generate the most negative reviews and lawsuits. Uh, it's just generally a ball of negativity, you know? And so keeping them around long-term is going to cost you a lot more than you would ever gain by keeping them for another month or another season or give them another shot to make it through the year. 
just cut mm -hmm. them because it's not doing them any favors and you're hurting all the people that are around them in the company, the cost of keeping a low performing rep is usually pretty high. So just cut them, move forward. We got, ex we got excuses, man. Yeah. I'm a whole, I'm a, I'm a business owner. Got excuses for these things. I'm going to, I'm going to put it off if I can, because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Maybe I'm a nice guy. Yeah. Oh, i trust me. I suffer from that. I still wrestle yeah. with it. I, I am generally a nice guy and I hate firing people, but yeah. I just saw the long term. But I'm just saying like, how do you get over that? Like what, what is, yeah, sorry. What is the, what is, what are your mindset? Like what helps you know that, that you got to do it and you got to do it. It's soon. really the right thing for them. And it's really the yeah. right thing for everybody else here. Yeah. The office staff hates dealing with those people because they never know how to do the process. They're always behind. They never fill out their forms. They never turn in their photos. They never collect yeah. the check on time or whatever it might be yeah. because they're just not practiced and well-versed. They're not good at pitching. You don't want to give them leads because they're not good at pitching when they get there mm. because they've only pitched five people in the last two weeks, you know, versus a, an active rep is pitching 40, 50 times in the same mm. time frame. So it's really best for them long-term if they find another place where they can be successful. It's really best for you in your company if you can move them along sooner rather than later but it's just seeing the long-term outcome and then put on your big boy pants and making the hard decision you know um the next question what about, next what about training yeah it was basically like when is oh. it my fault when is it their fault so like what about sure. if i'm not giving them training or i'm not giving them what they need yeah so my fault versus their fault it's always your fault that's how you gotta <laughs> approach it you know if if the sales rep failed it's always your fault you know, whether it's your recruiting, onboarding, hiring, training process is poor or any one of those steps, you're taking in too many resumes, you're doing too many interviews, you're allowing too many people too far in without pre-qualifying them and then cutting them out. You know, you're letting them get too far in the process, then you don't want to tell them no. So you're like, okay, well, they seem like a good person. Let's give them a shot. No, they're the right person or they're not. You should have known it already and you should have made the cut already um, in the interview process. Um, evaluate whether this person is good for the job or not. Um, so I think it's always your fault because that's you guys do a lot of internal training though. Like, so you would yeah. be pretty confident in your decision because you did what you could to get them trained up. Yeah, I would say, yes. I mean, you know, we're certainly not perfect at it, um, but we put a lot of time and effort into it because if I bring somebody in, I want to keep them and I want them to be successful. Um, but getting back to like my fault versus their fault, the reason it's always my fault is because I can control that part. I can fix the deficiencies on my side. Even if it really was only 10% my fault, 90% their fault, I can get better at the 10% of stuff that I wasn't great at. I can't do yeah. anything about who they are and how they perform and what's going on in their lives. So I'm not even going to focus on that. I'm just going to figure out what I can do better next time so I can be more successful and I can make more, more people, uh, more other people successful as well. So it's, it's that leadership perspective that it's always my fault. I want to figure it out. Mm. And it's refusing to be a victim in the process. Like I'm going to own it all so I can control it and I can make it better. Any other kind of granular tips on um, find, finding high margin jobs that you want to share? It's all good. We, we, we covered it. Um, I would say, you know, I did a lot of research in the beginning of the company. I gathered a lot of data on the jobs we were doing and sorted that data by the jobs that had the highest margin and just searched for commonalities, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, the smaller jobs, lower margins, bigger jobs, bigger margins, steeper jobs, bigger margins, specialty mm. singles, bigger margins. So really I just started kind of whittling it down from like every customer to more of this and none of these, and then more and more of these and actually 
now fewer customers that I want. Now I want a smaller and smaller slice of the pie because it's the best work. And now all these other customers, I just don't want it all. And so um, when I get a rep in that's doing really well and I can tell they're going to have good trajectory, I always tell them uh, here soon, you're going get to get to the point where you, you need to throw away leads. Like you're going to get leads from friends and family, guys you went to high school with or whatever it is. And I, I, I need you to listen to me. Stop taking those leads. The 40 square starter home neighborhood leads that you get from a buddy or the guy you meet at the gas station or the guy you play poker with or whatever, just don't take it. Hand it to one of the new reps that doesn't have anything to yeah. do or tell them to go find someone else, but don't spend your time on those because in the same time that you're spending on that one who really doesn't have the money, who really needs help on their deductible. So you have to find a financing solution for them and they're going to you know, nitpick about all this different stuff and they want all this free stuff. That same amount of energy, you could have found two or three high margin customers because those are typically the easier ones. You know, you go to the doctor's house who's successful and he's got good money and he owns part of a clinic over here, but he still does works his shifts at the main hospital or whatever. You get that guy, he's like 10 minutes in. He's like, you're going to do a good job. Okay, cool. I think you're going to do a good, good job. Don't, or I'll, you know, have words with you at the end. They sign the contract and leave and they don't even want to be there when you're doing the roof. Yeah. Those are the people you want to work for because they understand how business works and they understand that you're the kind of company, hopefully, that's really going to do a good job. And they actually don't want to check up on me. They don't want to be there. You know, I got those kind of customers are like, when are you coming? I'm going to go on vacation, you know, yeah. um, versus, you know, the 30 or 40 square low pitch three tab, you know, they're camped out in the front yard the whole time you're working. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and a shingle hits their plants and like, I need a free roof, you know, <laughs> so Heath, I I get to kind of like peer in on high performers at you know roofing companies and these different companies, and I always like to ask around like, what are you spending your time on? Just this question for me and other CEOs: Mm -hmm. What are the percentages? How are you spending your time? What are your priorities? Um, let's see here, dude. Um, Is that hail, man? I think we might got hail. Right now, dude. There's well, hail like coming outside your house. Dude, I see. One second. Is this hail? I gotta see it, dude. This sure. right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's come with. If it is. Is it is that hail? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Let's see. Oh my god, dude. Oh dang. Oh Minnesota just got blessed, bro. Oh, nice. Bring that down here. Send it down here. <laughs> What's that? I said, send it down here. Yeah, that's a little. Oh, but... dang. Anyways, oh. this is our. Uh... No. Nice. We're, all... <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing an interlude of a virtual tour. Uh, the Rupert's Paradise, uh, Minneapolis now, I guess. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought that was funny because like I've ne- I haven't like seen that a lot uh, yeah. just outside our office. All righty, well that's it's so funny, man. This this uh, not to attract people to Minneapolis or anything, but it's been an interesting spring. All your other roofer friends are like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I got like that's the one thing where I'm like, God, I'm used to running about this. Um. But yeah, Heath, uh, sorry, you were saying the, the kind of the ex, as you spend time on stuff, 
Um, oh, yeah. How, are you, yeah. how are you splitting out your priorities? You know, like there's management, there's hiring, there's sales. So like, how are you splitting up your time as a high performer uh, CEO? Well, it's going to sound like I'm cheating, but um, I have uh, really worked myself into the actual CEO role. So I don't have day-to-day -day duties like that. Um, my, my job is vision, strategy, communication, um, decision-making, inspiration, things like that. So I don't have any deliverables that are attached to my, my role. Um, I love it. So yeah, it's going to sound kind of like I was cheating, but if we go no, back. I think, yeah. What, what would you say? Like, let's say, when did that hit? Cause you know, like I would say you could, it could be very dangerous for a super, like even like a $5 million roofer probably to go into that mode, but maybe not. When, when it's did probably, that hit? Probably a little soon there. So, yeah. um, I had the goal in our first year, we did 5 million in our second year, we did 10 million. And then really around the end of my second year, I realized if this company is going to keep moving forward and keep growing, I've got to get out of the day-to-day -day operations. And so I did so many different things. I just started hiring people to take one part of my job and turn it into a whole role, you know, whether it was sales management or sales leadership, or whether it was stuff in the finance arena, whether it's stuff in the marketing, cause I still did a lot of marketing. Um, and really, I just slowly replaced myself yep. with the goal of, by the end of year three, being out of any day-to-day -day operations. Because mm -hmm. um, I needed to be able to sit up in the crow's nest and really see where the company was going and, and chart out a path ahead. And um, it's hard to do that when you are in, in a seat somewhere performing work, you know, getting work product that other people need. And I uh, you know, just realized that I had to escape that. So there was a point. Uh, getting close to year three, the biggest. What was the? Sorry, can you do revenue when when you hit it? Like like a uh, what yeah, revenue so, point? Uh, the end of so in the second year we did ten million, Oof. and then in the third. Damn, year, bro, you went quick, dude. You went quick. Well, we went five million, ten million, twenty million. So the end of the year three we were at twenty million, and at the end of year <laughs> three is when I was pretty much done with the day any day to day operations I didn't have anymore. And about two and a half years in, I remember I took the ladder out of my truck and that thing had been rattling around on the back of my truck for about 10 years at that point. So it was kind of weird, you know, like, I'm like, am I kind of, am I not a roofer anymore? <laughs> Cause I don't, I'm not going to yeah. carry a ladder and I'm not going to climb roofs. But I realized that if I was climbing a roof at that point, I needed to have like at least two people with me that are learning what I was doing so that I would never have to do it again. And yeah. so it was a matter of discipline and I wrestled with it for a few weeks when I realized I needed to do it because I just felt weird. Um, but I just realized the company needed me to grow forward and change if it was going to continue to grow. So I remember I took my ladder out and I literally gave it to one of the reps because I'm like, somebody else needs this ladder and I need to never need it again. And yeah. uh, I've never carried a ladder since then. And it was funny is the other day I needed to get on my roof to get a ball down for my kids. I literally don't even have a ladder in my house <laughs> anymore. And as a roofer, right. that's the weirdest feeling. Like I literally don't yeah. even personally own a ladder. I have one now. Um, but replacing yourself, if you've got enough revenue, uh, is going to be important. But it's a, it's a long process, you know, to replace yourself, and your company really has to be able to support it and be, and, and benefit from someone in an actual CEO communicator type role. Um, but I noticed too that as I was making decisions for the company, and I was still also performing those decisions, there's this weird weight or tension that you feel when you make a decision to start a new initiative, but you also have to do it. Sometimes mm. you don't make the decision, you know, you could or should make because you don't want to actually do the work to get it done because you don't have enough energy or time to do it. And I realized that pretty quickly when it started happening, 
because I was just out of time and out of energy. Uh, I'm like, man, six months ago, I would have been all over this idea. And I'm realizing like sitting here at my desk, realizing like, I just don't have enough gumption right now to do that. And Mm -hmm. that's not serving the company. Like I need to make the decision that's the right decision. And if somebody else has to walk it out and execute it, then so be it. But I can't be sitting here unwilling to make a decision because it means I'm going to have more work to do. And so Mm. um, that was the real moment when I realized, okay, I got to get out of the day to day so that I can keep moving the company forward and being, be willing to make decisions that were going to mean a ton of hard work for other people. But it was, if it's the Mm -hmm. best thing for the company, it's the best thing for the company. And if I've got to go back to my people and inspire them to put in a hard season, uh, building this new initiative or new process or new system or whatever it might be, then that's what I got to do. That's my job as the CEO. So, um, yeah, there was a growth. You trust yourself. You trust yourself a lot. And some, this is the, this is the tough thing about a lot of young, you know, younger or earlier roofing company owners is you can't trust yourself as much because you don't have the track record yet. You know? So it's like, Mm -hmm. am I going to put somebody on this initiative? And I don't know for sure if it's a good one. Cause I've had, you know, and you know, you probably had some fail too, right? Like there's a, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of failed initiatives. So it's just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's sure. learning. Yeah. It's learning how to trust yourself though. It's like, that's the, that's the dilemma of uh, the early business owner, you know, those first yeah. five years or whatever. I would say if you're a typical entrepreneur, you pretty much, you're typically going to believe yourself or believe in yeah. yourself. That's why you take yeah. to do what you're doing. But if yeah. you're an entrepreneur and a visionary uh, like me, uh, I don't have a lot of shortage in uh, confidence in my ideas, uh, <laughs> knowing that there's caveats there. I know that most of them fail or a lot of them fail. And I'm okay with that. I'm actually okay with failure. I tell all my people I hire, like, I don't care if you fail. I just need you to learn. So we don't fail the same way again, you know, and let's mm-hmm. fail quick. Let's try it right now and fail quick so we can get the data and have another initiative and try it again in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Rather than get a company down the street that's never even tried because they're scared. Mm-hmm. That's I'd rather good. not be scared and just make the mistakes and learn and get the data and try it again and then fail again and get closer and then try it again and get a little bit closer. And then, mm. you know, a year into it, we're, we've mastered something that our, you know, competitors are afraid to even try because they don't <laughs> have the money or the time or the effort, you know? Um, so we call that, uh, you know, one of our core values is innovation and mm. a part of innovation is speed. And a part of innovation is uh, being willing to fail. So if you're running fast, you're going to fail more often. And I actually prefer that. I'd rather fail more often and get to the goal sooner. You know, other people are like super measured and they want like one little step and they want to know exactly what's going to happen and what all the ramifications are going to be and how much it's going to cost to the penny. And that's not as much my personality, you know, Hmm. Um, I'd rather get there quicker and I'm okay if we, uh, you know, fall down and skin our knees a couple of times. Yeah. I love it. Heath. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, can you give your uh, companies again one more time, maybe the dot coms or something? Oh, sure. People can so, check them out. Uh, yeah. So Avco Roofing is obviously the main thing there that we talked about today. Um, Catch All is the product we made that protects the house and the yard like during the installation process. process. So if you've never seen it, go check it out at catchall.com. It's a really cool product. It does a lot of marketing for you around your jobs, brings in a lot of jobs for you. It's an upsell possibility to customers that you can generate revenue with or that you can bill insurance for if you're doing insurance work. Um, you know, it's, there's no better way to let the neighborhood know who you are and that you're a good roofer than using the catch-all. Builds a lot of rapport with your customers as well, knowing that they're 
they know you're going the extra mile to try to protect all their stuff. Um, so catchall.com um, or the catchall.com. And I just want to put a plug in there. I basically like before you do any digital marketing, make sure your job sites are tight. Like that's what I, I tell that to everybody. Like job site is the number one marketing tool. Totally. Signs. And we're the number one job site marketing tool. Exactly. So, so I'm, I'm a big proponent of you guys. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Roof Warrior, you know, that's the online training platform we have. And then the Roof Warrior live training events where we train your reps and your sales leaders to kind of level up in all of their skills. It's really based around role play and training. So we grill them over and over and over and over again while they're here. Uh, we do a lot of mindset stuff too and personal growth stuff just to get that sales mojo into somebody that's like ready to go out and crush it and, you know, conquer the world. That's how they feel after they leave those events. So check those out, uh, salestransformationsgroup.com. You can look at Roof Warrior and Roof Warrior Live. We've got one coming up June 13th through the 17th. Uh, you can send your reps and sales leaders and come down as an owner and conference with a bunch of other owners and see what everybody else is doing. And, you know, it's a very collaborative environment, but it's also exciting and challenging because we'd rather it be difficult in training uh, and easy in the field. And so we make training difficult. We put people through a lot of paces, you know, lots of different types of role play and challenges and rebuttals and objections and stuff like that. So it's a really cool time. And then that online training platform is awesome because it has two tracks, one for new sales, one for salespeople, whether they're new or they're veteran, they just watch it on their own independently. And then there's a uh, track in there for your sales leaders to know how to manage them, how to track their KPIs, how to inspire them, how to hold them accountable, structures of one-on-one -on -one meetings, how all that's supposed to work, all the comp plans, and then uh, a step-by-step -step of the whole sales process that we use at Avco. Uh, that's really the difference between that product and other kind of coaching training products in the space is we're literally teaching our exact our exact sales process to you as a, as a roofing owner. If you buy that program, we literally tell you what we do. And, and same, same thing in the live training. The last one we had, I don't know, maybe two months ago, we had uh, I don't know, 11 or 12 different companies come and bring their reps. And in the room were, were my new reps. Like I'm training mm. your company the, exactly the same way that I trained mine. Mm. And we're $130 million in and uh, you know a lot of reps at this point. And so we really know what we're doing. And I literally give you guys as roofing company owners the exact same training that my guys, guy, my guys get. They get the manuals, they get all the printouts, they get the whole sales process. The sales leaders get all the sales training that my sales leaders get. It's exactly the same because my people are literally in the room with you getting that training. So it's super high value. It's the training that I wanted when I started. I paid a lot of different people for their programs. But what I really wanted was another really successful roofer to tell me exactly how they were doing it. So here you go. I'll tell you exactly how we're doing it. Check it out. Awesome. I love it, man. Thank you so much. And the podcast yeah. is put on by hookagency.com. Thank you, Heath, for joining us. Thank you all for watching or listening. See ya.